Welcome to the Abbey Talks podcast series with myself, Lisa Farley, coordinator of the talk series here at the Abbey. In this podcast, actor Rory Nolan talks with me about his approach to character, to Beckett, to pushing boundaries and life in general. We talk about his beginnings, getting his act together, lucky breaks, hard graft, cosmic jokes and the serious business of comedy. Enjoy this podcast. Welcome award-winning actor Rory Nolan. <laughs> you are currently gracing the Abbey stage in Druid's award-winning production of Waiting for Godot. Tell me about this production or how it came about. Am I right in thinking that you pitched it or you and the rest of the cast pitched it to Gary Hines? Yeah, you are, I suppose. We were on tour with Druid Shakespeare and I think we were down in Limerick when the idea was brought before Gary. We were, uh, we'd been talking about it ourselves. We were all kind of living in close quarters and we'd been talking about what could we do together and wouldn't it be fun if we did this or wouldn't it be fun if we did that? We came up with the idea of Godot and, you know, the, the initial response is to laugh. We all laughed, thought, wouldn't that be hilarious? Ha, ha, ha. And then we thought, actually, would it be possible? So we came up with the idea. We, we, we I, I mean, I can't remember who, but it was one of, one of the evenings. And when we were in um, Limerick, we went up to all of us together and we said, look, Gary, what about this? And I think she said something along the lines of, I was just thinking that. You know, whether she was uh, marking her card or not, I'm not sure. (laughs) But anyway, one thing led to another and she went with it. So um, it was the summer after, which was was actually last year in 2016, uh, at the Go Arts Festival, we actually did it for the first time. And I don't know what it was, but something about it kind of caught fire. And now we're here in the Abbey, doing it here in, in, in this wonderful auditorium, which was which was a real... Well, it, it's wonderful to be here. It's wonderful to be here as part of Graham and Neil's you know, first season and a great honour, but it's also... It's, it's immense for us. You know, We went from playing the McLally Theatre where we were playing to 80 to 100 people per night to... To, to this auditorium so a bit of jingling and jangling and, and what have you but um, no it's it's fab it's kind of caught fire now, and now we're here and, and, and that's it I mean it's an audacious and fresh perspective on it like, and I say that and I think about that and I think why do I say that because I suppose my viewpoint and perspective of Beckett it, it's for older actors mm. why are we so sa- why is it so sacred and then how do you feel about it's a good question. I don't know. You know, the, the, for us, the production, uh, f- I mean, for us and my generation of actors, w- the production belonged in the gate. It belonged to, to Barry and Johnny and Alan and Stephen and, and that very famous production that they, d- they, they did so well. I mean, I remember seeing it and just being bowled over by it. So, so that was part of the challenge for us as well. I mean, the thing about this production is, is that we went about it in the only way we knew how. We didn't bring any of that with us to it you know we 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 went about it the way we go about anything else um and there was a huge amount of excavation and a huge amount of um you know everyone being very cautious i suppose is the word at the start of of beckett and the play itself and very reverential and until we realized well actually we have to do this the only way we know how that was for all of us to just jump on board and get involved and immerse ourselves in it as much as we we could you know at the end of the day these are are four characters for four men. I mean, this is you know the characters that we play. So you know, how do we do that? How do we how do we fit into them? And and um, and what can we bring to it? You know, Beckett is treated so often with this, and and rightly so. You know, uh, with huge uh, admiration and huge respect. But you know, at the end of the day, it is it's a play. And you you have to put it on, and you have to put it on for your audience, and you have to do it 
to the best of your abilities and, and, and you have to make it fit as, as well as you can. You know, if you bring any of this outside, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, maybe academia or something like that, to, to your perspective on the play, then possibly doing it a disservice, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, think it's, um, I think it's an immense piece. I think it's fathomless. I think there are all sorts of directions you can go down with it. And I think it's one of those plays that really does offer so much of itself to you on hearing it every single night, which is great for an actor, and it's really interesting. Respectful disrespect, <laughs> possibly, I don't know, about how you go about it. So that was... Um, we became aware of that fairly quickly. Some have said it's the best production in 25 years. Where do you begin? Where do you begin with a character like Pozzo? Where do you begin to humanise a character like that? When Beckett is so strict on the page, mm. you say it's fathomless, but what's on the page is what's on the page. Mm. You have to figure out within that room to manoeuvre, room to play, a load of things came to mind, you know, accidentally some of them, but but like things like, um, you know, I looked at Beckett's influences himself and he was so influenced by musical and by comedy and by uh, Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin, you know, and there's, there's elements of that in the production. But my, my own tastes and my own um, uh, influences would range from Basil Volte to Larry David and... Uh, and and I find great humor and great comedy in in those characters. I I find them in 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 this guy as well. I mean, the character has to go somewhere. That's the other thing. You know, he has to go from A to Z with everything in between, to some degree. Now, you know, Beckett's characters and this play is no exception. Are full of mystery. You know, there's so there's no point in in trying to necessarily give them backstories and say, oh, he'd do this or he, he used to do that and that's where he's going after this. You're, you're presented with what you have. And, you know, Pozzo is um, a bully and a slave driver, but he's also a coward. You know, he's a very weak um, kind of person. He, he needs people's encouragement. He needs people to be looking at him when he's there. It's part of this whole question of do I exist and what am I you know and, and at times he seems like he he may have more of a clue than anyone else but really I think he's making it up as he goes along just like we all are to an extent I find the uh, personally I find this this maniacal cowardice you, you know the things that, the, 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 the maniac and the coward uh, existing side by side interesting and fun to play so, you know, you, you have a guy who's, you know, is saying, is everybody looking at me? And then screaming at them two minutes later when he can't remember what it is he was trying to explain. Uh, and, and for me, that that was the way in, you know, just not at all trying to be funny with it, but playing completely and utterly deadly serious. So that when he's saying something like, oh, is everybody looking at me? Um, or, and don't interrupt me after he asks them, what was I saying? You, you know, 100% uh, real. And, and I, think, I think the more you do that, the more you, you invest yourself in that idea, as you go through it, um, the funnier it is, the more odd it becomes, the, the stranger the whole situation becomes. And of course, you know, the, the, the stranger it is, the more... 
<laughs> what kind of like real life it is. You know, there's so many questions in the play that that are brought up that you know you could apply to people waiting at a bus stop or or what goes through someone's head when they're going shopping for you know for their dinner or whatever. You know, um, that kind of weird cosmic joke that we're all part of. Um, and I, I find him, you know. Uh, I, I find him great fun to play, but I find, you know, with all the characters, Vladimir, Nestragon, Lucky and Pozzo, f- I find facets of all of them in everyone, um, if that's not too grandiose thing to say. What's the, I mean, we talk about what it means and as in the programme, it's probably clearer to know what it doesn't mean, but what kind of sense do you get from it? Do you do you take anything away from it? From Waiting for God? Yeah, the whole thing. Um, I do. I, I take, I mean, personally, I think it's one of those plays, the more you think about the harder and more elusive it becomes, the closer you think you get to knowing it, um, the more evades you. I mean, I think I've said that before somewhere else, and I, but I really, I really stand by it. If you let it wash over you, you know, the, I mean, personally, I get very, I get a great sense of, uh, weirdly, I get a great sense of warmth from it. I think, you know, there's an element of, it's okay, you know, we're all going through this, you know what I mean? So even if you're, you have good days and you can have bad days, but, you know, at the end of the day, the light gleams an instant uh, and then it's night once more. So kind of make the most of it. I mean, that's that's uh, that's a personal thing I get from it. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people think that the, the play itself is quite... Uh, dreary or foreboding or there's something about it that is ultimately depressing but I find it very humane Um, and I I mean I personally I take a lot from that Um, I think it's one of those plays that can be over studied and you know over academically scrutinised and things like that Um, but I, I think the more you kind of let it come to you the more you let it wash over you the more you listen to it um, without trying to put your own spin on it you know people saying oh it's about Beckett and Suzanne down in in Roussillon and hiding out in the Second World War oh it's it's about nuclear holocaust oh it's about purgatory oh it's about if you bring that to it slightly again you're slightly doing a service to the play because you're pigeonholing it you're saying oh it's this one thing and there and therefore it can only move within that world whereas if you just let it come to you and let it you know enjoy the the uh, humor and the desperation and the lightness and the heaviness and all of it at once I think you come away with a more enriching experience I mean there is no definitive um, meaning and Beckett I suppose made it so I mean he didn't even explain the title so it's great as an audience member to go in and as you say every opinion is valid and you mm. can you know decide what you want and it, you can see I keep thinking of Enda Walsh's plays as well because he was very clear almost you know what the audience's perspective on what was going on in that room at that time so mm. there's a there's a great liberation about it by not getting it wrong or your inter- interpretation isn't wrong do you know yeah. it's because it's it's up to the individual it's yeah. I've you know it's yeah and of course people are absolutely entitled to bring what they want to it. A play like this, which is, what is it, 60 years old, 60, 70 years old, you know, it, it pushes the boundaries of form as well when you think about when it came out. You know, there's, there's, there's long silences, um, long pauses. Uh, at one stage you have all four characters lying on the ground um, with very long silences going on. So it, it, it pushes it as well. How and does that work in the rehearsal room? Those, like, 
the, the pacing and, 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 and obviously the comment timing and, mm. you know, I suppose that's asking you for a recipe well, for that. Well, but I, think, I, I, think, I think with Beckett uh, and, and my limited knowledge uh, and understanding is that everything is there for a reason. You know, he's not putting in pauses and silences and, and the like for the crack or to be smart or to be clever. So as such, everything has to be earned. And um, when we were rehearsing it, you know, you can feel it. You can even feel it when an audience is in. If 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 actually we we didn't hit that, and we'll go back up to the dressing room after, and we'll have a chat about it, or we, um, it, it, these are pregnant pauses. They're full of there's something going on every time. There's the silences as well, and you can hear it in the rhythm. And if if they're not earned by what's actually been happening or or transpiring on the stage, they feel wrong. You know, so I mean, he, he he knew exactly, exactly what he was doing. Um, so you know, in rehearsals, uh, it, it became apparent fairly quickly that there was a real rhythmic element to the play and to the way it's spoken. You know, I mean, he wrote this play in French first, and then he re he basically wrote another play in English. This is, I mean, it's from from. You know, all we've heard, it's very different, you know, kind of play. There's a lot more wordplay and things like that in the, in the French. So he sat down and he kind of rewrote it in English. And, of course, I'm, I'm always going to say that it sounds better in Irish mouths, of course. But, um, but there's, there's, I don't know, there's something in it. He's, he, he was Irish. It's intrinsically... There's so much Hiberno-English in there. Hiberno-English, it just sounds like it, you know what I mean? And we, and we did play with them. We played with the silences and the pauses and we made them very, very long and we made them shorter and we had to figure out exactly why they were there and what's happening in them. And in rehearsals, because you've worked with Druid so much, what, what was it like, what was your first experience with Druid like in the rehearsal room? How, how much could you, I suppose, throw those ideas around? My, my, my first experience working with Druid in the sense, uh, with Gary and the guys was Druid Murphy, which is five years ago now. Um, I'm surprised you didn't work with them before. No, no, it hadn't. It just hadn't come about. But uh, it was 2012, I think. And um, I, I, I knew I was going to be doing it for a while, you know, a good while beforehand. Um, and I'd known all the actors, so we'd all worked with each other before. Um, so we all kind of knew each other, kind of coming into the room which helped but it, it really was one of those kind of moments where we were lucky enough to realize what was happening as we went through it and very quickly a an ensemble um materialized people were pinging off each other and working really well um and we were just fortunate that that, that, that it was realized and and acted upon it's, i mean it's hard to remember exactly what it was like at the very start but we were working with you know, one of the greatest ever playwrights worked. Because I had thought you were less established in your career when you started working with Druid, but at this point, five years ago, you know. You yeah, were... no, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I'd done a lot of work here. I mean, the bulk of my work has really been the Abbey, um, Rough Magic, and independent companies up until then. It just hadn't transpired with Druid because of whatever dates and uh, and everything else. Great, the, the way it did come about. I mean, it was a big event. Piece, uh, Druid Murphy, and I mean Tom's plays. My first play out of drama school was The Drunkard, which Tom had had written. So that was my first, you know, 
foray in well in my postgraduate foray in, into into the world and and what a what a baptism of fire in the best sense it was so um yeah we were working with, on these immense plays you know conversations on homecoming whistle in the dark and famine uh you know it's which i i still maintain to this day had 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 a lot to do with how we all solidified so quickly because the work was so good and of course, um, we were up against it time-wise, and you know there was an awful lot of work to get through, which just added to it. You know, we uh, this this kind of happened again three years later with Druid Shakespeare. We we were um, eating together, we were working together all day, we were hanging out. You know what I mean? We were all living <laughs> like in the same apartment block, like a commune. So it, it was all it all fed into the work. I, I strongly believe that. You know, and I, I do think you know like a lot of. A lot of the work was done, obviously, on the floor and, and a lot of work was done chatting about it over dinner. Um, someone would cook or in the pub, you'd go for a drink and have a chat about the work. Um, so it was at the forefront of everything. But everyone's ideas and opinions and thoughts and preferences, I mean, everyone was you, you were able to set out your wares on the table and um, and uh, some were used and some weren't, but you were you were part of this rolling machine, this this um, this big ball of energy, uh, you know, and everyone's contribution was um, appreciated, uh, whether w- whether some of the ideas were taken on board or not, and you know th- that 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 in turn then creates a brilliant kind of working relation, not just working relation, but working language, that you're all able to feed into this thing and you know no one's offended and, and 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 everyone's full of praise for everyone else's stuff and it happens very quickly so you know um you come into a job with actors who you've never worked with before and of course there's always going to be an element of let's try what if we tried this and oh yeah that's great and you know everyone's very polite as it should be of course as it should be and uh, and everyone's very polite in in the druid ensemble that's that's not saying no one's polite but what, but what i'm saying is we have a there's a shorthand where we don't have to go through the initial would it be all right to do this would it be all right to do that we can just dive straight in and go yeah let's throw that at it let's not throw that at it and you know um uh, gary's to be commended as well for her editorial skills on that as well because she's she's very good at holding the floor and saying yeah let's try that or actually no my idea was terrible yours is good let's go with that you know and and it's all at the end of the day it's all about the play the product on the stage and everyone pulling together from every aspect uh, in the office the guys in the crew stage management the actors um, the director the designers everyone pulling together for the best possible piece for the audience. Um, you mentioned their bespoke theatre and you've worked with them, uh, Rough Magic, Landmark, Druid, Corn Exchange, The Abbey and the Gate. So my question to you is not can you believe where you are in your career because the belief must have been there because that's 14 years of work. There's a body of work there. But my question is, did your ambition ever falter? Um, uh, ambition, I don't know, is ambition, uh, I don't, maybe it's this business, ambition seems like such an ugly word. <laughs> I, I I don't know, I think I, 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 I think I was extremely lucky. I think I am lucky as an actor in, in, in what I can bring to something. Um, um, but I, I also worked very hard. Um, and I've, I, I was very, you know, at the start, quick off 
off the mark with the people I got to work with. And that's a huge, huge factor. I was also I was very lucky in my timing as well. You know, when I came out of uh, the Gaty School of Acting, um, which was a great experience, uh, I came out in 2003. You know, there were so many theatre companies. There was so much work going on. There was a few quid and, and theatre companies were doing well. And so there was work. And when I look back now and I think, wow, you know, they really, uh, you know, theatre, established theatre companies, established theatre makers were taking risks on younger actors. They were able to do that. So I was part of, of that that generation who came out of college, you know. It was good. I mean, there's a good few of us working in it today. Um, uh, my, my colleagues and friends and... Um, only for the fact that people were able to take that leap of faith on younger actors. We were able to get on board, you know, and, and for as great as the actors training was, and it was excellent, um, you know, part of your real education formatively, you know, in any profession is, is doing it professionally. Um, so, you know, my, my the, the day of my graduation show, the day it started, I started rehearsals in a rehearsal room with Tom Murphy and Stephen Brennan and Nick Dunning and, and Pauline McLean, directed by Lynn Parker, you know, produced by Jane Brennan and Alison McKenna in a show that was going, you know, designed by Monica Frawley, going down to the art. I mean, I remember it well. Rory Keenan was in it. Um, I, mean, I mean, you know, this, this was a great eye opener. It sparked off a bit of a, a working relationship with Lynn Parker and we went on, I went on to do, uh, I remember getting a phone call then, I, I went, I did uh, Heavenly Bodies with Lynn, which is a great play written by her uh, wonderful late uncle uh, Stuart. And that went on in the Peacock in a, in a bit of brilliant programming here in the Abbey, the shock run was going on upstairs. And then um, I got a phone call about going in to have a chat with Lynn and meeting a guy called Cottle Sinnott, who's the musical director. And the... Um, I went in and I sang a bit and had a chat. Uh, that was a show called Improbable Frequency. I mean, I was 24, was I 24 when when, uh, when I did that? And I got, I, anyway, I got the part and I, I, I didn't know at the time, but this is a show that had been in development for a while and, you know, someone couldn't do it, so they held auditions for it. Um, I got it um, and Improbable Frequency opened a lot of doors. You know, it became uh, a, a, a a big hit in the Rough Magic rep and it went on and toured all over and, and did very well and it was a great, great piece by Arthur Reardon and Bell Helicopter did the music uh, and I have such fond memories of it um, but that really uh, that kind of changed things for me For as a young actor, next thing I was getting phone calls straight off the bat you know um, and offers and things like that but again, I really do put it down to timing, I look at you know young actors coming out of college today and you know, it's 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 a lot more barren, and they have to make their own work. and uh, And I have the utmost respect and admiration for for every single one of them. and uh, And I, it makes me feel uh, very very lucky because there's an awful lot of highly highly talented uh, young people out there flooding mm. the business. Um, Rory Nolan, your pranks and mimicry are world renowned in at least three counties now, I think. Um, Here's me trying to sound all serious. And <laughs> no, we'll lighten it. Um, when did you first realise you wanted to perform? Did you, I mean, do you come from a theatrical family? Um, n not professionally, if you know what I mean. Um, no, the, the arts were always a big part of uh, our family life growing up, and there was literature just everywhere. Um, 
my parents loved going to the theatre. They loved Beckett. They, you know, there was music left, right and centre. So, you know, there was always something to play or pick up or read or or discuss. And, you know, it was sort of by osmosis we, we, we all got into these things, you know. Um, you remember the first piece do of theatre you the, fir- the first piece of th- I mean, I remember going to... Um, yeah, you know, kid stuff when I was younger. But I remember being enthralled by... I, I, I just loved when the lights went down, you know, and, and, and something started. And I remember the feeling of, wow, I'm going to get... I'm going to be transported here. Even, you know, from a young age, you know. And then as I... You know, my in my teens, I... You know, I did, it's all very boring, really. I did... I, I always knew I wanted to be an actor. I remember uh, in school... We, we did a school play and I got cast as the newsreader and I got up and I did my best sort of RTE, RTE, Brian Dobson kind of, and the teachers, I remember the teachers laughing and because uh, there were two classes that came together and did these great plays by a, a teacher, Mr. Sinjin, I remember Philip Sinjin, he wrote these brilliant plays when we were kids and um, I remember him saying, looking over to the teacher going, I remember him mouthing, he, he's very good, <laughs> to the other teacher. And so they asked me, I, I, I read for the lead role in a, in a show called Joe and the Miraculous Rappers or something like that. It was great fun. Uh, but I remember that being kind of, I remember thinking, wow, yeah, imagine being able to do this. And I'd always wanted to do it. And then, you know, we went through school and you, you kind of, you know, you're, you're awkward teens and all that, all that awfulness. And doing the school musical, and really, you know, it was all about. We did it with the girls' school, so it was about kissing girls, and it was about you know trying to get a lead part in the play, which which I managed. <laughs> and uh, you were the, always singing at home, and uh, yeah, there was singing and playing guitars, and you know, just if there if there if there was a way to have done it professionally, I mean, you know, I wanted to know how how one went about it. And then the big one for me then was UCD. I I I went to UCD really to go to Dramsock and uh, I got very heavily involved with that and did loads and loads of plays and of course you know you're directing and lighting and designing and you're just immersed in the whole thing and and that was a great experience and, and that was that was when I was <laughs> I remember it because uh, you know I, I never really applied myself to the academic side of it um, when, when I found Dramsock and I remember my father sitting me down and saying like you know Rory when when are you going to get your act together? And I said, oh, yeah, I know, I know. And he goes, no, no, I mean, when are you going to get out of this college stuff and, and, and do the acting, you know, properly? And I went, I remember thinking, wow, OK, um, well, you know, and I remember people who'd been in Dramsock then, you know, they finished college and they, they went off to London or they, they went to Dublin. So I applied to the Gaty School and I got it. And I mean, that was that was it, you know. Um, but as far as wanting to be an actor, it had always been there somewhere, you know, um, it was just about how to apply that want to do it to you know how to how to go about it. You know, I didn't really know, and uh, that was one of the things the gaiety did. It gave me a whole idea about the the network in this business and how you go about it. And you know, one thing led to another, and there you go. Say, other stuff gets on top of you. It's just part of the discipline that you just shut off and you get on with the show. Yeah, like yes and no. This business and being an actor is vocational. Like, let's not 
there's no bones about it. I mean, this I've missed. You know, personally speaking, I've missed weddings and uh, family functions and things like that, and that just goes with the territory. Um, but it becomes, you know, your social life to an extent. It becomes, um, you know, you, you end up having, if you're if you're lucky, like I am, you end up having like a family away from your family. So it's uh, there's a huge vocational aspect, and of course, you know, you're you, you know as you're getting older. I mean, I'm not, you know, ancient, but, you know, I'm getting older. I've got kids and different responsibilities to, to when I started out. Uh, I, I, of course, I take the work seriously, but, you know, I, 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 I work for different reasons now. And if I want to make sure that there's any longevity to that, I have to make damn sure that I'm going to be as good as I can be, you know. What do you make of the, I suppose, the theory that comedy is never taken seriously? Um, uh, yeah, I think about it a lot, you know, and I think um, from a performance point of view, <laughs> comedy, comedy is not that far from from drama. You know, people think it's the other end of the spectrum. They are so closely um, aligned. I, I can't even tell you, you know, if you're playing a major dramatic part. I mean, one of the tricks is to try and play it like a clown. And if you're playing somebody like, uh, I don't know, a big comedic part, maybe uh, Falstaff, for example, you've got to play him deadly serious. You know, comedy, uh, for me, comedy only works when it's <laughs> taken serious, taken for real. Like, the stakes have to be real. Otherwise, there's no payoff. And if there's no payoff, no one's going to laugh. Um, and if nobody laughs, then it's not comedic and you fall flat in your face. But again, you know, going back to that old boring thing about the truth, it has to be truthful and it has to be real. Otherwise, it's really not going to work. I, I do think that, uh, you know, and this isn't this isn't a personal um, spitey thing that I have, but I, I do think people think, especially when you're, I mean, I've been categorised as a comedic actor uh, all the time. I've absolutely no problem with it. I mean, I think, uh, I know from from doing all all different sides of part, parts different types of parts it's um it's harder uh to elicit laughter um and it's hard i mean even in writing you know but if if the writing is good um and it works and it's tight you have to bring the reality to it that will actually make that script work so you know um I always think, you know, sometimes content can move people and stir people, you know, or uh, something very serious or very difficult to watch. But actually to get, you know, I always think of the Russell Carroll Kellys and, and what Paul Harrod did with the last Russell Carroll Kelly, which is Breaking Dad. I mean, we had 1,100 people with sustained laughter for a minute at, at, at certain jokes. I'm not for one second saying that that's down to me uh, I'm saying it's it's down to the rea reality of what was presented in front of the audience and how it, it only worked because the audience, f f again, found the truth in it and laughed and laughed and laughed. So, um, yeah, comedy is <laughs> comedy is serious if it's going to work. And, um, oh God, I mean, you know, I, 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 like, I, I never approach any any role that would be funny considered funny or, or comedic 
as if it's that, you know. Falstaff is probably one of the most complex characters ever created uh, in the English language, in any language. I mean, he's 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 everything, you know what I mean? And um, we all know what happens to him. And, uh, you know, for that to have any effect, that preceding stuff has to... You know, I think one of the greatest scenes ever written uh, anywhere, ever, in anything is the tavern scene in Henry IV, part one. I mean, it's it's like the stuff that's going on, you know. Again, like Waiting for Godot, you can go down all sorts of different avenues with it. You know, how much do people know? What You know, how much do they not know? How funny is this? Is this two people communicating with each other? Is it one person telling another person about the other person? It's fascinating. Um, so the, the, the comedy element doesn't come into it for me. N not at that part. And then, you know, you, you have uh, uh, certain things that you, f you find in rehearsals that, that then add, add to that. But you have to take every, uh, inverted commas, comedic uh, situation deadly serious. Some quickfire questions before we wrap up. Do you get nervous before going on stage? Yeah, of course. Um, if I don't get nervous, I'm nervous that I'm not nervous. If that makes any sense. <laughs> do you have a pre-show uh, ritual? Uh, it changes from show to show, but yeah, no, what happens is you do get into a certain way of doing something, whether that be, you know, touching your toes, brushing your teeth, having a hum. I like, to, I like to get down onto the stage and have a look at the stage before every show, just to have a breathe of the air and to think, you know, it's, it's a, 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 a theatre I would think is a sacred place, but when you're the only person on the stage in an empty auditorium, it's quite, it's quite... Uh, it's magic and then to know that you know in an hour's time there's going to be 500 people or whatever it is laughing or crying or whatever sharing a communal experience is pretty uh, humbling you have a post-show ritual um how do you wind down or do you <laughs> click depends, off pretty quick depends usually i'm i'm straight home um I, I live a good bit down now i live down in wicklow now so if i'm working in town in dublin uh, it's a drive or a bus um Sometimes it's nice to have a drink with people who are in at the show and have a chat and catch up with people. But generally, generally, once the show is down, the energy gets kind of put away into the, you know, gets put away and then you get ready for, for the next one tomorrow. What's the best advice you've ever received as an actor? Um, wow, I've received an awful lot. Uh, I, I think the best advice I ever received in general was... Um, don't sweat the small stuff. It's all small stuff, is is kind of it. And uh, I try to, I try to apply that um, to every facet of my life. Um, sometimes not to it, the best um, results. But anyway. <laughs> Last two questions: How do you measure success? Uh, happiness, uh, of, of course. I mean, you know, I. The whole idea of working to live rather than living to work, I think, is important. At the end of the day, you know, I have to realise that for as, as vocational as this job is, it's still a job. Uh, and it's important to realise that a lot of the times, um, whether that be oneself taking, taking the work too seriously or, or if you feel like um, you're being taken advantage of as an actor, because people think that they can take certain liberties, you know, with, oh, they're only actors. You have to put yourself in the position, well, if I was a solicitor working in that big company over there. So, um, 
Last question. Why do you do what you do? Whoa, that's very Beckettian. Um, I love it, I suppose. I love it and I'm, I'm privileged every day. I realise I never take it for granted, not once, how lucky I am um, to do something that um, that I love doing, that I'm constantly learning, constantly meeting new people, um, constantly expanding. I would like to think and hope as a person. Uh, it's lovely to work in such a vibrant, liberal, exciting, intellectual, physical, stimulating business. Thank you. Thank you. Let's go. <laughs> Cheers.